You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Moving on already to the next set of verses, uh, verses 6 through 9. I think that I will, though, read... uh, Verses 3 through 9. This is page 1203 in your Pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at and read verses 3 through 9. We're going to focus in, though, this morning specifically on verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So we're heading into a new section in 1 Peter this morning. We've finished verses 3 through 5, or we've done our, I've done my best work trying to get through every little bit of this section, and now we're going to move into verses 6 through 9, though our pace really is not going to pick up yet. We're going to stick around here for a while in 1 Peter chapter 1. Eventually, we'll get into broader topics later on in the letter that we will take bigger chunks. But in this opening rejoicing, this opening blessing of God, it's just, it's too vital to the rest of the book. You can return to this section of scripture, and I do frequently, for just the richness of what Peter is speaking about here. The comfort that comes to the soul from this passage is is too great to run over quickly. Too great to run over quickly. I appreciate the honesty of this passage. Um, You know, many times people will try to sell Christianity as though it's nothing but just some great glorious walk to the finish line. Uh, as, though, as though having God on your side now all of a sudden means it's just one wonderful living your best life now until you get to go meet Jesus. There are those on TV and sadly there are those even locally who will try to tell you that the Christian life 
is meant to be just one victory after victory after victory over the issues of this life. And I don't know how you can have that position unless you don't read your Bible very closely and you don't read a section like 1 Peter very closely. When Peter addresses here is both terrifying and reassuring. Terrifying and reassuring. The life of the Christian in this world is simultaneously one of this world and all of its difficulties, which are terrifying and full of grief at times, and yet one of the next world and grounded upon all of its promises, hopes, and confidences. We have to remember, and I've stressed this, I think, now every week, that the context of this book, this is a prison epistle. Peter, writing this, is not writing off the beach in some nice, you know, poolside cabana, writing a letter out to the Christians on their vacation, wherever they are. He is writing from prison, and he's writing to people who are in the midst of persecution and suffering. It's easy to address the scriptures academically. Uh, you know, we're reading, oh, this is really interesting. Look at this high thinking and this, this high language and this joy that Peter is writing about and to abstract, to think on it. And isn't that really interesting? It's easy to do that and, and divorce the letter from the circumstances that it is in and then you, you get rid of all of the weightiness of what actually is being said here. Peter is not writing about trials and sufferings from positions of speculations. Like he can imagine this might happen at some point in your future. He's in the midst of it. And the church there, the churches there spread, and the diaspora, the dispersion there in, in modern-day Turkey, they are in the midst of suffering. Peter's in prison at Rome. He's facing a death sentence. And he's writing to the body of Christ scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. And they're undergoing their own trials and difficulties. Trials, some of them expressly as a result of being Christian, for sure. Peter is in jail for being Christian. But you have to imagine, don't you, that as you, as you live life, you realize there's just suffering that happens to everyone under the sun. And in modern day, or in, in Turkey back then, in these days, the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, and Asia, don't you imagine they had the normal sufferings and griefs of this life that we all do? Losing children, losing loved ones, your own body wearing out, not having enough to eat, losing jobs, fights and quarrels and families, all sorts of just regular sufferings that are going on in the life of Christians. And so I appreciate the honesty of scriptures, of the scriptures, and especially in this section, that Peter is not going to try to sugarcoat life, but he's going to address it head on. And one of the main first points that we see from verse 6 here of this text is that the Christian life is one of rejoicing, yet not ignoring the grievous moments or the griefs of this life. The Christian life is one of rejoicing, yet not ignoring the griefs of this life. Notice the close proximity. I mean, it's almost like they're so close, you, you, you can read right over them in verse 6. 
In this you rejoice. I mean, the word there is this ongoing, you're, you're filled with joy. In this you rejoice. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to his name. Thank you, Jesus. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, that's just like a couple of words in Greek, you have been grieved. Rejoice. Grieved. You're like, wait a second, I, what are we talking about? Are we talking about grief or are we talking about rejoicing? Peter seems to be mixing things up. He's talking about rejoicing. I thought we moved on to rejoicing, even though for a while you may have been grieved by various trials. And so he's not talking about specifically grief comes in many, many different ways. But right here in verse 6, we have rejoicing and grieving only a few words apart. And notice the way that he speaks of this grief. He doesn't say, in this you rejoice, overcoming all grief. Like the words are there close together, rejoicing and grief. But their relationship is not rejoice. You now get to overcome all grief. Or rejoice, um, you have put away all grief. But he says, in this you rejoice, even though you have been grieved. And that grieved, I mean, if you've been through grief, you know that it is not just something that necessarily happens for a moment, but comes in waves and returns and comes coming around at different points and you'll remember or just be sorrowed. It's, it's, once you've been grieved, it is, it is with you. And so he's writing this, rejoicing, though you've been grieved. Christianity, true biblical Christianity, doesn't shy away from the hard realities of life with all of its sorrows. Paul describes Christians as being labeled sorrowful, yet always rejoicing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. But what typically happens is, is a sort of bipolar Christianity. Um, either you meet those who have no rejoicing in their life and they're nothing but sour and depressed and sorrowful and the world is just a wreck and is a mess and life is hard and we just hang on till the end. Just depressive, um, awful, grieved beyond all sense of hope, Christianity. Or you have those who have such a heightened view of rejoicing. It's like you can't, you can't for a moment admit, no, this is a really sad, hard thing that we're going through. But just everything's just wonderful. And you'll, you'll meet the people who at the hospital after someone has died will just say, well, isn't it great? And it's like at that moment, no, nothing is great right now, all right? <laughs> this is grief. Christianity, the way the Bible presents them is not as though you have one or the other. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Both realities living together in the life of the Christian. As Paul describes it, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There's this definite realization of the mixture of these two realities. Why? Because this is a broken world that we live in. Suffering defined by Elizabeth Elliot in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. I highly recommend it. Even if you're not going through any suffering right now, get a copy. It's actually on Audible if you'd rather listen to it. Uh, suffering is never for nothing. It's absolutely wonderful. Get it, read it. Suffering is on the way for every person under the sun. Just a wonderful book on suffering. But she defines suffering in this honest and simple way. She says that suffering is the presence of something you don't want 
or the absence of something you do want. Suffering is the presence of something you don't want, cancer, sickness, uh, trial, whatever it might be, or the absence of something you do want. All of that qualifies as suffering. What is helpful about this is that Christianity isn't seeking. When we talk about this double reality of sorrowful yet always rejoicing, what's helpful is that Christianity isn't seeking to be some sort of fantasy religion. We're not trying to put out high-minded ideals that don't deal with your real life. Oh, have these wonderful concepts. There, there are certain uh, Eastern philosophies, Eastern religions, that's all about transcending the suffering of this life. In fact, in Buddhism, that, that the main tenet is that all of life is suffering, and the whole goal is to transcend it, to get above the suffering. But Christianity is like recognizes all is suffering, that, that not all is suffering, but that life is full of suffering, and that there is something to be done in the midst of recognizing the reality that we live with, but yet Peter is saying, in something you rejoice even though you're living in this grief. Grievous events occur the world over to all who live under the sun. So first we see this closeness, rejoicing, and get grieving. And so Peter then he speaks secondly of this rejoicing in the midst of various trials. But what is he rejoicing in? What is the in this? Verse 6, in this you rejoice. What is the this? Well, it's what we've spent four weeks or whatever on in verses three through five, right? It's this whole package of who Jesus is, who God is for us through Jesus Christ, all that he has accomplished for us. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. All the things of this life that are fading away for you do not fade away. The things that you get from Christ, they are undefiable, they are unfading, they are imperishable. The whole package, but not really even just the blessings. The giver of the blessings himself. Edmund Clowney in his commentary makes the statement that it is possible that the in this could also be translated in whom you rejoice. Now, I'm not, not going to go into a, a huge debate on the proper way to translate that. Most translations say in this. But the idea behind that is that the this comes from a who. And so that the Christian is not just rejoicing in the things of God, but in God himself, the giver of all of these things. We've spent several weeks working through these for few verses. Suffice it to say that this week, the blessing of, that Christ is, the blessing that is found from his mercy through faith in him is big enough to carry joy into every trial and every suffering. But hear me, this is not meant to diminish the reality of suffering. Like so often what we think is the joy that is in Jesus is big enough to carry the day into every suffering. And so then we hear, well, then, you know, I'm never supposed to have any grief or suffering. No, that's not actually what it says. It's that in the midst of that suffering, there is something weightier and heavier as you go through the grief. It is not to diminish the suffering. It only points to the greatness of the reward that is to be enjoyed. Down a few verses, we 
read this morning, Peter calls the this, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You know, sometimes we're almost apologetic in the church about the reward of eternal life. That's what this is about. This isn't about moral improvement. This isn't about getting better. This isn't about, uh, you know, again, you know, some sort of way to live a successful life. It's trendy to hide sometimes what this is about. It's almost more popular to emphasize all that the practical good that a Christian belief can bring you. But the writer of scriptures, they, they have no reservations. Jesus Christ, what is, it that, what is it that he's giving? Salvation for your soul, eternal life. This life will end and your soul will go on. And will it go on in heaven with him or in hell and judgment under the punishment that you deserve as a sinner? This is what the scriptures put forward, that you may have salvation for your soul. In that, you rejoice, though you know that in this life you've been grieved by various trials. So it brings us, that's the end this, this salvation, this inheritance, this being born again. In this, you rejoice, juxtaposed very closely there with the grief. But it brings us to the third thing I want to look at in the passage this morning. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. We might get to that next week. But though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why does he say a little while? That's like almost kind of annoying. I mean, you, you get the, um, it's a... Uh, just walk through grief, and no one, no one has said this to me this time, so I don't, I don't want to, you know, don't, don't sweat like you said, but people will come up to you sometimes when you've gone through a grief, and they'll, they'll say something, you know, well, you know, you'll get, you know, it'll get better, give it time, you know, it'll get better, it'll last for a while, but, but it'll get better, just a little while. Is that what Peter's saying here? You know, he's like, in this rejoice, though now, you know, for a little while, but then your griefs will be over, and things will get better. Is that, is that what Peter is talking about just give us a little time it's cold comfort to tell someone who is in deep grief just give us some time it'll get better <laughs> gee thanks uh no i'm really hurting here i'm really i'm really this is upsetting i've lost something yeah just give it some time is that what peter's saying i not at all and, and i know that it isn't because peter's own circumstances they ain't getting better with time from a worldly perspective, he's going to be martyred. He's going to be killed by Nero here in a few years. He's, he's, he's not saying it for a little while, and then, then, then they're going to get better. You're rejoicing because these trials are just for a little while. That's not at all what he's saying. He has no hope of only suffering for a little while. Peter will suffer until he dies. So why would you ever insensitively call any suffering that someone, that someone is going through, why would you ever insensitively call that suffering just for a little while? Well, I think Peter, the reason why he says it that way is because it has to do with the length of any suffering in this life when it is contrasted with the length of joy that the Christian will have when Jesus returns on the last day. One commentator says, Believers rejoice despite suffering because they know that it will not persist forever. 
And they don't, that, don't, don't think that to just mean, oh, you know, we'll get on and get on to the next thing. Believers rejoice despite suffering because they know that it will not persist forever. It strikes now and for a little while, but it will be swallowed up by the eschaton. Fancy, that's a commentary for you. It'll be, it'll be swallowed up by the end of all things. It'll be swallowed up by eternity. Similar statement comes from Paul, if you have your Bible still out, in 2 Corinthians. I just want to look at this. It just seems so similar to this section. I think we should look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 17. You probably heard this statement before. It says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul calls his sufferings light and momentary. And we could go through the list of Paul's sufferings of lashes and stoning and shipwrecked and being left for dead and blasphemed and slandered and all of the things that Paul has undergone. And he says, these light and momentary afflictions. Is he crazy? I mean, that, you could make, that could be your maybe pronouncement here. But he's comparing these sufferings with the eternal weight of glory that is to be found in Christ. Starting in verse 7, he says, we have this treasure. You hear why I think this is similar to Peter chapter 1. Treasure, this inheritance, the Spirit, God himself. We have the treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. All was carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work at us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. There it is. There's the reality. There's the reality that Paul is... Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This precious treasure, this inheritance, God himself through the Holy Spirit contained in these jars of clay that we are. This jar of clay endures much suffering, and yet we do not lose heart. We are crushed, but not truly crushed. How? Because our eyes are not focused and set upon ourselves, but upon Christ. Not on the seen things of this world, as Paul says, but on the unseen things of the eternal world. Paul then ends by calling these afflictions of the world light and momentary. Now, it's not because from his lived experience they seemed that way. 
No way. But when put in the balance against the reward of having Christ, there is no comparison. So again, Peter in his passage is not denying the reality or the gravity of the grief that the Christian knows in this life. It's recognizing the various trials, the grief that comes our way, while at the same time centering the Christian's gaze on the weightiness of what it is to have Christ and to rest knowing that he has you. You are guarded for a faith ready to be revealed at the last day. It is knowing that there is an eternity coming, the day of Christ's return, and that the guarantee for those who are Christ is that those days will be filled with the joy of God's presence and his favor. And so, as Peter starts, verse 6, in this you rejoice. What is your this? In this, rejoice. What is your this? Do you have a this big enough to carry you through the sufferings of this life? There is a this. Peter's testifying to it. There is a this big enough. You could almost frame the narrative of every life in the world today as one in search of a this large enough to carry the difficulties of this life. Everyone's searching for this. And many in our own fallen hearts at times, searching for a this of this world. If I could find some this to give me rejoicing so that I can make it through the next season of difficulty, what is your this? Is there a this large enough to carry the joy and hope through all the difficult days of this life, a thing of this world? All of those pursuits are idolatry and ultimately failing unless the this is the same this that Peter speaks of, the one true creator God who is worthy of every ounce of our worship. He does not fail his children. Not that they will never endure suffering. That's not what Peter is writing. Not that they'll never be grieved by various trials, but that ultimately he will bring them through it to the incredible inheritance that he has promised for them. Let's pray. Father, we need an anchor. And I pray that this past 30 minutes of serious thought, God, and, and serious reflection, God, has not been the, the, the point, God, is, is not to be heavy unnecessarily. But, Father, it comes with an awareness that there are so many things in this life that are heavy, and we need something weightier. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the joy of our salvation. We need the hope that is kept in heaven for us, a living hope that perseveres through the trials of this life and the difficulties that come to us, sometimes it feels like day after day. And when grief that has come our way seems to be renewed morning by morning, God, may your mercy be greater still morning by morning. New mercies each day, may they flood our way. Give us eyes, God, to see our own desperate state. And then the incredible joy that there is that though we are sinners deserving of your wrath and your great mercy, you rescued us. You caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Father, may that anchor us, not in promising to us that we somehow get to escape the broken world that we are in, 
but that as we live through it, we have an anchor. We have something, we have a this to rejoice in, and it is you. Ground us there, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.